0: you do anything to keep your vehicle happy, let's make sure it stays running smoothly. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you'll find the right parts that fit your vehicle the first time. From air filters to headlights to batteries and bumpers. When you see the green check, you know that part will fit. Get the right parts at the right prices. at to ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: America's number one motorcycle insurer is ready to ride. They offer coverage for your bike starting as low as $75 per year. And they keep things affordable with discounts like paid in full, multi-policy, and responsible driver. Get a quote today at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Premium is for state minimum liability coverage. Rate and discounts not available in all states or situations.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 224 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today in the podcast, we welcome Popeye Vogelzang from Farside, your favorite train wreck, and a new band he's in called Calling Hours. Popeye is most well known for being a guitarist and vocalist of the band Farside, founded in Orange County, California in 1989 and released most of the records on Revelation Farside played a ton with hardcore bands, punk bands, emo throughout their life. We talk about his musical family, hardcore, his interesting life after full-time music by being a well-known voice actor, and much more. Popeye is a legend in the scene and someone I've wanted on to have on for a very, very long time. This is episode 224 of the washup Up Emo podcast with Popeye Vogelzang from Calling Hours, your favorite train wreck, and Farside.
0: became um you know super corporate alternative music radio station but uh i remember in like the the very very early 80s they they played a lot of unique and interesting stuff and a lot of indie stuff um in particular there was a show that was on sunday nights uh by a dj named rodney bingenheimer and he had a show called rodney on the rock and he he, he put out um multiple uh vinyl compilation records of all these super obscure bands um that are that many of which are still obscure to this day but but to be able to it, it was i think it was a little easy to easier to have access to um alternative types of music because it was a weird radio station Um, It was back when DJs were allowed to play whatever the heck they wanted to, Um, but also uh, just by luck, I grew up in Huntington Beach, California in Orange County, which was a massive hotbed of very early West Coast punk rock um, with bands like uh, the Vandals and Social Distortion and the Adolescents. And I was still a kid, so I, I, you know, I I barely had a concept of any of it, but I did have an older brother and an older sister, and they also had really cool friends, and so a lot of that music would kind of filter its way into our house when my brother or sister would come home, because one of their cool friends lent them a record, and and we'd put it on the family hi-fi, and and I, I, again, had no concept of it, but somehow I got, I got hooked to it. And, uh, um, that being, that being said, I've always loved pop music. We were a very musical family. Everybody played an instrument. There was always some form of music playing somewhere in the house. Um, we used to love doing sing-alongs in the car when we would go on road trips. So I already had a love of music before I discovered punk. Um, but then once I discovered punk, when I was around, 10 years old it just kind of started me on a different sort of path
2: can you, can you talk about the family again like what did you kind of i mean my parents listened to music but it wasn't like everyone played an instrument or i mean what was that kind of um did you feel anything um or was that just your life because i i mean i would go to other friends house and see you know their parents playing or something and kind of see a difference did your friends realize like oh man your whole family's down with music
0: uh, no, no, I, I, I think the way, you, the way you put it, it was just it was just our life. Um, it, it, it was just it was just our life. We just love music. But um, I was the only one that, that, that ever pursued it as far as like playing in a band or anything. And I guess I guess I only thought it was weird if I went over to a friend's house and they weren't listening to music or they weren't playing instruments you know and it's mm-hmm. not like my family got together and had like jam sessions or anything we just <laughs> you know we just i don't know it was just kind of something that was always a part of it it was it always existed it was always there but in my i mean to me it, it we just seemed totally normal it's not like we were bohemians or hippies or anything like that we, we it was a very 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 standard suburban middle-class upbringing and we just happened to enjoy music my dad was a big uh fan of jazz and jazz fusion
3: fusion
0: mm-hmm. um my mom's a massive frank sinatra fan um i i can't say whether or not any of that really filtered down into, into my songwriting influences necessarily but i still have a great appreciation for that kind of stuff um,
2: what were some of those early instruments? Was it first singing that you kind of got into? Was it, was it guitar? No, piano. Every, oh, everybody piano. played piano. Nice. Yeah.
0: Everybody played, everybody played piano. I, I couldn't tell you why. Uh, but that was, that was the thing. We had a piano. It was, it was this upright piano that, uh, that my older sister still has in storage. Um, yeah, my, my, my dad played piano. My mom played piano. And so when we were growing up, we took piano lessons. Um, even though I desperately wanted to be Peter Chris from Kiss.
3: Oh really? And
0: I, be, and I wanted to be a drummer. Oh yeah, I dressed up like him so many times, whether it was Halloween or not. I wanted to be Peter <laughs> Chris, and and my parents like totally put the kibosh on it. They were like, Oh really? Why don't you learn how to? They're like, why don't you learn how to play a real instrument? Later I realized, oh, yeah, piano's not quite as noisy as playing the drums. And we already have a piano and drums are expensive. So I get it. Um, (laughs) I love that they were like,
2: hey, wait a minute. Let's
0: (laughs) let's steer you here. They were they were super rational and intelligent about it. It wasn't like they yelled at me. I was like, come on, can I please get a drum set? Mike, let's think about this for a
3: minute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, all right, I mean, you're. I guess you're paying for the lessons. Um, (laughs) uh, But uh, other than that, um, I I think my brother tried to play trumpet for a little while. Um, None of us ever took singing lessons. Um, And the way I learned how to play guitar is uh, my sister wanted a guitar for Christmas one year. And so my parents got her this acoustic guitar and she just didn't take to it at mm-hmm. all. And so after a little while, my brother asked hey, if you're not doing anything with that, can I start fiddling around with it? And so he just, he just taught himself how to play.
3: Wow!
2: Not,
0: not with He's just a brilliant guy like that. He, he not through like music books or anything. He would just listen along to the radio or records that he liked and just figured out what note was what. And, and him being my older brother and me emulating him so much, which I still do, uh, after a while, I was like, "So wait a minute, you just taught yourself how to do that. Hmm, maybe I can teach myself how to do that." So when I was around twelve or so, when he when he when he wasn't looking, I would sneak into his bedroom and grab my sister's old guitar and do the same thing that he did and just listen to listen to the radio, listen to records that I liked and figured out what note was right and what note was wrong and um and, and i guess the same thing applies to singing you you, you just you, you hear a note and you match it and yep. then you, that's how you that's how you that's how you learn yeah <laughs> that's how i learned at least
2: that's beautiful a lot,
0: a lot of people have asked like hey can you teach me how to play guitar no i cannot <laughs> i because I, I, I don't know how i learned there's no freaking way i could teach you or anybody how to do it i've tried a couple of times and it turns out to be this kind of frustrating thing where i'm like okay you take this finger and you put it here and you put this other finger there and you just play like what's what's complicated about that um but uh yeah it's you it's know, it's i, it's, I, it's, I, it's, I I'm it's... just I, I consider myself extremely lucky that i was able to learn how to do any of that <laughs> kind of stuff in addition to everything i got to do with far side and all the other musical projects that I, that I got to do.
2: Yeah. (laughs) What about some first shows for you? Um, like ones that you're like, Oh shit, this is, this is awesome.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, I I could absolutely tell you, uh, Farside's third show was opening for judge. Um, this huge show at the country club in Reseda, California. Um, we we were the the very very first opening band, and we got paid fifty dollars. That seems fair. Judge that seems fair. Oh my god! We thought <laughs> it, it may as well have been like a hundred thousand dollars. Like we felt like we were like, dude, fifty dollars split four ways. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like you know, we were all like nineteen years old at the time, and we were we 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 were kind of walking around like, all right, who wants to know me? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was a blast. I mean, we were. We were all nervous as hell um uh i don't even think we met (laughs) judge at the show (laughs) i know i would have been way too nervous to go introduce myself i still kind of am in those situations but um i i mean it didn't make me feel like all right we've made it as a band like i just couldn't believe that we got to do that and it's it's definitely one of those things in the in the moment you realize it's awesome. And decades later, you could still look back and think, my God, your third show ever in, in, in a band that, like, this is the first band that you've ever sung for. And your third show, you're opening for this huge, legendary New York hardcore band, and you're getting one-fourth of $50 to do it? <laughs> Holy crap!
2: Yeah, it's still. Still to this day, you have that saved somewhere. You don't have to. You, no, yeah. I
0: probably no, I think <laughs> I think I I think I spent it on a moons over Miami at Danny's later that <laughs> evening or something.
2: What about shows yourself going to them early, maybe if it was high school or middle school?
0: The first like show that I went to I was a, I was it wasn't until I was a freshman in high school. Um, be, because frankly I was just too scared. <laughs> uh, even even though I had been into punk and hardcore for a long time. Or I mean, not a long time, but at least a, a decent number of years, to where I felt like I, you know, I had my records and I was into certain things, but I was still a skinny little twerp and you know a non-combatant. And you would hear stories from your buddies who would go to shows and like, oh man, there was this crazy fight with a skinhead and a suicidal and oh, and that's fun. How you yeah, know, like, so uh, I sort right. of just. Yeah, so I just, I just shied away from it until I think eventually one of my friends probably grabbed me by the earlobe and said, all right, come on, let's go see a show. Um, and it lived up to be one of the more frightening experiences <laughs> that, I've, that I've ever been part of. Lots of fights. and.
2: Uh, Do you remember who uh, it was? Uh,
0: it was, uh, yeah, it was Uniform Choice. And no for an answer. Um, I think half off played, um, and it, yeah, it was a, it was at Fender's Ballroom in Long Beach, California, which had, a, had lived up to its reputation of being just a, a sketchy um, big place. But that's one of the few places that would actually put on shows like that in a terrible neighborhood. Um, and you, and you know, one of those places where you, you lied to your parents about where you were going that yeah. night and, uh, <laughs> um, and everybody kind of kept their eye on one another. And, uh, and then, I, and, you, and you think, yeah, this is awesome. I'm going to just take a few steps back and just kind of hide in the corner and watch from afar. Cause yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to come home with, <laughs> <laughs> with after a visit to the emergency room. And then I have to, and then I, I was more concerned about, I was, I was concerned about getting my ass kicked for no reason. And I was concerned about having to explain to my mom where I had been and what happened
2: to me. Right. Um, what about, um, what about, you know, forming bands, playing music was Farside the first one that you formed or that you were a part of, or was there, obviously uh, there's probably some ones that happen along the way, but that one kind of stuck.
0: Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was at a, I was at a band, um, right before Farside. I played guitar for a band called borderline, uh, which was a hardcore band and we put out a seven inch on conversion records. Oh yeah. Um, which was run by, by Dennis, by Dennis Ramzing. Dennis was the drummer. I was the guitar player. Um, we didn't really, we didn't do too much. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I did that. And then <laughs> prior to that, when I was in high school, I was in a punk slash hardcore band called Bottom Line. Um, no relation. <laughs> uh, just just with some friends from high school and we never played a single show. We just practiced a lot and we recorded a demo and, and then everybody graduated and kind of moved on to different directions. So um, that's my... Uh, that's my musical pedigree. <laughs> Prior to <Marci>.
2: fantastic, <laughs> more than most, more than most,
0: I suppose. Yeah.
2: So what again before before eighty nine when it was formed? Like the you kind of were like, okay, I want to do this. Like, were were there? was there school that you left or was there decisions that you kind of remember that kind of led you down to go like, no, I, I think I want to do this. Or was it just as other things were happening? Cause other people, sometimes they have a part-time job and then it turns into something like everyone's got their own. So what was
0: your sort of sure. part before oh, that? I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, it was my first year out of, when I joined Farsight, it was my first year out of high school. Um, I was going to college and I was, Um, working at a gas station. Um, I mean, I, I never, I never really had any dreams or notions that music was something that I would ever commit to full time. It's, it just didn't, I, I, and I, I don't know, Tom, I don't know how old you are. Um, 44. So 44. Okay. So I'm 52. So there's a, there's a little bit of a a hardcore generations. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Pretty quickly.
0: Um, and I'm not going to claim that I have my pulse on anything that's been going on in the hardcore scene currently. Um, but from my perspective back then, you didn't, you didn't tour full time. If you were in a hardcore band or a punk band, you you had to have, you had a day job and most of most people went to college and you, it was just kind of something you did on nights and weekends and on school breaks or when you had vacation time or whatever. Um, so I don't, I, I don't remember in the definitely not at the beginning feeling like I had to make any sacrifices or make any um, big life changes to join Farside. What I can tell you is that I literally had to beg Rob Hayworth, who was the original founding member and original guitar player to let me try out for the band. Oh really? Um, Yeah. He, I mentioned that I, that I was working at a, working at a gas station and he pulled in and we were talking for a little bit and I was like, Hey, what's going on? And he said, oh, I'm doing this new band with, you know, a couple of guys, this guy and that guy. And, you know, we're still trying to find a singer. And I said, well, can I, can I try out? And he just, he just kind of, kind of snickered. And he's like, you don't know how to sing. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I, I swear. I, I know how to sing. Come on, dude. Like he thought I was having him on. And I, I said, no, I, I really, I promise you, I know how to sing. Like me a, can I try out? And he was like super super hesitant and then finally said, all right, um I'll come back tomorrow or whatever and bring you a, a practice tape and maybe you can write some lyrics and show up the next time And I was like, yeah dude, that'll be great da, 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 da. and so he he came back and gave me this cassette tape and when he handed it to me, he asked again can you do you really know how to sing, dude? And I'm like, yes, I promise you I can sing. <laughs> And so um, I went home and uh, maniacally scribbled out a bunch of <laughs> lyrics. Showed up to practice, and we went through. I think we had five songs at the time, and I sang through them and a couple of times. And I had one of those. I had one of those old like uh, uh, cassette recorders just for, just to record it and just yeah. for fun. Went through the songs a couple of times and then we decided to take a break and I went and got a soda, or went to the bathroom, whatever. I forgot that I left the tape recorder running. And so <laughs> when I came back from our break, they said, All right, dude, you're in. And I was like, Yeah, that's great. Oh, I'm so excited. And then we, you know, played the songs a little bit more. And and then I was listening to the tape on the way home and I got to listen to what they were saying about me while we were on that break.
2: Oh that's great. That helps for later relationships. That helps a lot. <laughs> well, I'm joking.
0: I'll tell I'll tell you it was uh they weren't exactly jumping for joy. It was it wasn't the most flattering <laughs> thing. Oh you could hear the door close kachunk and then Rob turned to the other guys he's like, "So, what do you guys think?" And they're like,
3: "Oh, yeah, I mean, I suppose."
0: Uh, uh, just kind of muttering and murmuring like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." no and then finally rob said so is he in or what and there was just way too long of a pause before Ooh. the other guys finally said yeah i guess it's all right yeah okay that's cool
2: so that's that yeah that's so resounding i mean that that is great that, when you're at work and you and you get that review and it, it, there's a pause yeah so so you're feeling good on the way home
0: oh i i'll admit i was laughing I was hysterically laughing because at that point I, I was just happy that like I was in the band. So like, whatever, it, you know, it, it, I think it kind of set the tone for um, in a way, I think it definitely set the tone for far sides attitude <laughs> during our tenure because we did a lot of things to make each other laugh and, and, would recognize how much of a joke so many things were that we were involved in and that we did. And, um, yeah, it was a, that was a, that was a significant moment for sure.
2: (laughs) What did you guys agree on music wise? Um, or even talked about?
0: Yeah, I don't, we didn't ever really, we didn't, we never really talked about it. We just kind of, we just kind of went for it. Um, someone would show up with a song, and um, well, in the I guess in the earlier the earlier days when Rob Hayworth was was still with us, he pretty much wrote all of the music, and I wrote all of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone would add their their little bits and pieces here and there. Um, uh, so we just, you know, we just kind of, we just kind of followed whatever Rob, Rob wanted to do, basically. And Rob wrote good songs, and so we were like, yeah, that's great, let's do it. Um, and then after Rob left, and Kevin Murphy joined the band, um, things, things definitely, I, I think it definitely broadened the spectrum of what we were doing because um, then that's when I was able to write more music for the band and you know so so it was kind of like a 50 50 thing with between kevin and me. like sometimes one of us would show up with a full song written from beginning to end and other times it would be like hey i've got like half of this written or i've got most of it written do you have another little part that you can stick in here um or here's what i got add whatever you think is going to work but as far as citing specific bands and specific influences um, I, I don't remember it ever really coming up. Like we got to sound like this or we don't want to sound like that. Um, it, it was, to me, it was kind of hard to know what kind of music everybody else was into unless we were not at practice and we were in somebody's car and somebody said, Hey, I'm going to pop this tape in. And, you know, like, you know, like, Hey, have you guys ever listened to this band? no uh, oh, check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Or, who wants to listen to this? Not me. I do. Okay, you know. Um, And then you would get into debates about why that band rules or why that band sucks. But when we were at practice, bands didn't really seem to, other bands didn't really seem to come up. It was just kind of what we wanted to try to do with whatever we we're trying to write, I guess. Yeah,
2: no, you're great at skirting around genres because we're going to hit another one later that you're going to have to answer too. I'm joking, um, but right. the, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. The but I think that's what's interesting about about Farside as a band. When I heard it or someone shared it to me, is that one song sounded something, another song sounded differently, and I kind of, I guess the uh, your thoughts on you know, you get on a label, you get pigeonholed somehow and when you're not a hardcore band i worked at equal vision records every band we signed oh, cool. they thought it sounds like bane and i'm like no this is actually a band that sounds like wilco you know but mm-hmm. it's just there's this you know kind of a label so be- because of if it was crisis or rev did you feel you were sign kind of thrust into a scene or a genre and uh, were there thoughts around it yeah
0: oh yeah initially for sure um I mean we, we, we were definitely we were definitely a product of the hardcore scene. There's no question about it.
2: Uh, hey, if you need an exciting new record to look forward to, Iodine Recordings, the Boston based record label, is releasing the 30th anniversary edition of Quicksand's classic debut, Slip, on vinyl. This is the album's first time on vinyl in over a decade with completely remastered sound. This deluxe eightfold edition with Slipcase comes with a poster, a deluxe LP, and a 64-page hardcover book. The book chronicles the album's history and has commentary from Anthrax, Hole, Rise Against, Youth of Today, Papa Roach, and more. Experience this iconic post-hardcore record in a brand new way with the 30th anniversary edition of Quicksand Slip, available for pre-order now and in stores on March 31st, 2023. And since they returned in 2021, Iodine Recordings has released almost 20 albums to date from bands like Stretch Armstrong, The Darling Fire, One Line Drawing, Jerome's Dream, Sorcer Fire, and more. Head on over to iodinerecordings.com for more and follow them on Instagram at iodine recordings. Um, uh,
0: you know, that, that's how we met, and those were were a lot. A lot of our influences came from, or at least, uh, you know, post-hardcore bands or melodic hardcore bands. Um, but uh, when, yeah, when we did our first seven-inch on Crisis Records, and then when it was time for us to do our first LP, uh, Jordan Cooper at Revelation asked us straight up. He's like, "Do you want your next? Do you want your album to be on Crisis, or do you want it to be on Revelation?" it's your choice. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we were like, uh, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> Cause we knew like we weren't, you know, we, we, we were, we probably weren't going to mesh all that well with bands like youth of the day and gorilla biscuits and judge, even though we liked them, we knew we had a different kind of different kind of sound. Um, but we also knew that there, there was definitely a bigger, reputation with revelation and uh um you know the crisis was like a a fledgling offshoot label and and so we were thinking well maybe this would be more helpful for us if we if we just kind of bit the bullet and said all right we're going to be a revelation band and we'll just have to deal with it if people get upset that we don't have any you know mosh beats or whatever (laughs) and it and it definitely happened because when, you know, we, when we get booked shows, it was a new, uh, revelation records far side. And once in a while it would happen. It's like, you guys don't, you, you don't sound straight edge, hardcore. And we're like, well, <laughs> no, we're not.
2: <laughs> I just think of like a kid going Sorry. up to the show on the side of the stage and like, he's like new rev band. I'm going to be on it. I'm going to get in this thing and
0: you guys start playing
2: yep. and there's no like part for him to jump. That's where I just yeah, – I, exactly. I wish I, yeah, I, I we, want to experience we, that again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there were, there were pl- plenty of those shows uh, early on where there'd be a lot of dudes who had X's on their hands, and they'd be right up front with their arms folded, and they'd be like, yeah, come on, man. And, and then i bring out an acoustic guitar. and, la, la. <laughs> and You could see the look of disappointment on their faces. But way more times than not, and I'm not right. patting myself on the back, way more times than not. You start to see the heads start to nod along with the beat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, all right, that's pretty cool. But then you'd still get the play faster, you know, <laughs> well, from from the back of the room once in a while. But, but again, one of, the, one of those laughable moments where it's like, dude, you're not insult. You're not going to insult me. <laughs> like, how did you guys deal hilarious? with that? How did you deal with that? We just, we just, you just laugh it off. You know, you have to. You just laugh it off you know that's it don't take take it seriously but don't take it too seriously yeah. you know put your heart and soul into it but at the end of the day you got to go home and study for your exam the next morning so
2: right right uh, yeah you had other shit you were dealing with
0: or go to work or whatever it's like you just showed up to have to play some music and have fun and
2: who did you connect with from a like a band or an uh, person perspective outside of the band? Like, were there other people that saw you guys and were like, Oh, let's go do this. Or I, I mean, I've, I've heard that a lot of stories where, you know, the odd one out finds the other odds.
0: As far as like one person in particular, um, if you want to make it a love fest, uh, Jeff cottell from game face. And I have been insanely good friends for, um, more than 30 years now. And, uh, uh, he, he was definitely someone that um, on a personal level and on a musical level, uh, I connected with very, very early on. And that's that's just never wavered. Um, uh, we, we played a... It was really, really early on. Um, and we played a garage show um, in Irvine, California. And after we played, he and I went up to each other and... It was like, Hey, I like your band. Hey, I like your band. Cool. Let's hang out. And that was, and that's it. <laughs> Certain people you can just yeah. connect with and become friends with. And he and I still talk multiple times a week and, um, uh, we've been, we've been able to collaborate together here and there on various projects and Farsight and Game Face played a lot of shows together uh, throughout the nineties.
2: You found a kinship in a different sound in a place mm, that was supposed to be one sound.
0: That happened numerous times that, that exact thing that you described. Um, I I suppose. uh, And I, I I still don't want to, I mean, I don't want to take any credit for anything. We were just, we were just doing what we wanted to do and we were happy to be there. Um, always so appreciative of anybody, whether they were, uh, I, I mean, I was, I was, I was grateful then and I'm grateful now that I got to do it.
2: Why did the band last so long?
0: Uh, probably because, um, we were busy with other things. Um, we, I mean, if you, if you think about it, we were together for 10 or 11 years. um, But we didn't put out that many records and we didn't go on that many tours. And a lot of it was because uh, um, we were, you know, we were all going to school and then you have jobs and you start to get more and more responsibilities as you get deeper and deeper into adult, into adulthood. And so it took longer and longer for us to write music and record records and play shows and, um we weren't all living in the same place at the same time but we didn't have any we didn't have any reason not to do the band because we still liked each other um but then you could say yeah it's like three years between records or or something like that so I, i i think i personally i think that's why we were able to call our call ourselves a a band for as long as we did because we just took a long time to do stuff the expectations were not always mutual by any means yeah um it was just a you know it was just it was just life it was just uh you know there's a there's a big difference from when you're 20 years old to when you're 25 years old to when you're 30 years old um things just change and uh yeah, so it was. It was. It 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 tends to get difficult to have everybody on the same page at the same time. Um, and We tried to roll with it as best we could, right. for as long as we could.
2: Um, uh, if someone hasn't revisited Farside or has never heard, what are three songs that you would tell them to listen to?
0: Um, I would say Audience, which is on our rigged album um statues of snow which is on our album the monroe doctrine and i hope you're unhappy which is also on the monroe doctrine
2: can you talk about that song a little bit more what life is
0: that thing sure. had it's crazy <sighs> uh well i keep getting asked about it so <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's had a long one um uh i i i uh I don't do it that often, but occasionally I'll play solo acoustic shows and um, I pretty much can't not get off the stage without (laughs) me being demanded to play that song, even though it's one of my least, absolutely least favorite songs to play live. Really? Yeah. I love that. I love that you have to
2: do it and you hate it.
0: Yeah. I I like listening to the recording. I don't like me having to do it. Like I'm sweating bullets because it's... it's, uh, Because I can't play guitar like I used to, I can't sing like I used to, um, and I want to go lay down immediately after playing it. And I, I always make some sort of mistake on the guitar while I'm playing it. Um, but I just try to be as sincere and balls out about it as possible. I like that. Um, but uh, uh, I, I can, I can definitely tell you that when I, when I wrote it, and this, this is. You know, before uh, before you had access to things like garage band and cell phones and you could just, you know, quickly record a little demo at home and message it to the other people in your band and say, hey, what do you guys think of this? You had to like write it and then show up to practice and sheepishly. Play it in front of your bandmates and say, "Okay, guys, um, so here's this thing I wrote, and let me know what you think." And I thought it was—I thought it was like 50-50 either way. Like, like uh, they might like it, they might think it's totally lame. But anyway, I wrote it, so I'm going to give it a shot. Um, and luckily, they were like, "Yeah, that's yeah, we like it. And it very cool." You know, again, like when I, similar to my first tryout. With the band, it was it wasn't like, dude, that's the best song I've ever heard. It was, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess we should be all right. (laughs) Seems to be a theme. (laughs) It's a theme with Farside, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Um, uh, and so we just we just kind of worked on it and did some tinkering around with it, and then started playing it live, and then we eventually recorded it, and um, Jim munro gave it his nod of approval, and. Said, yeah, that's a good song. I'm like, okay, um, and but uh, again, like it, you don't know what's going to affect the listener. Yeah, you, you can you can think you wrote the best song in the world, and compared to something that you just like literally farted out in an hour and m- 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 many times the the whoever your audience is going to say. Yeah. That one that you said you just made up like five seconds ago. I like that better than the one you agonized three months over. Right. Yeah. So that happens. Um, so didn't know that, uh, didn't know that people were going to like it. I didn't know my band was going to like it. Didn't know any person listening was going to like it. Well, they still are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and and again, you don't know what you're doing when you're doing it. You just do it. Yeah. So, uh, that's it's great that it, it connected with so many people and it resonated with so many people. Um, uh, I, I can assure you that's never been any kind of a goal. Uh, you know, like I'm going to write a song that that's going to make the entire world change or that, that's going to make the, it's going to make the chicks cry and the dudes are going to be like, it's like, nah, just you know, just see what we can come up with. And, um, uh, it, it's it's kind of crazy to me <laughs> that it mattered to anyone
2: i love that um do you remember hearing the word emo for the first time Mm-hmm. well where 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 was it what'd you think i was
0: just like in the it was just like in in the um 80s like it, like like for me at least it was uh it had a, it had a different um connotation because at, at least for us and the orange County, uh, hardcore scene, it was, it was, uh, it was called emo core and mm-hmm. it was, and it was, and it was bands like dag nasty was probably one of the biggest references. Like, like when the, when the can I say record came out, um, it's like, yeah, it's kind of hardcore, pretty much hardcore, but the singer can actually sing. Um, so that's, that's how I always looked at it. And many people referred to us, as an emo core band um in those early days and then it it took on a completely different uh completely different de- definition that I I don't know if I ever really understood <laughs>
2: That's okay. I've spent
0: not that, not that I'm not that I'm insulting no. anybody, but absolutely it's like, not. How, how do you how, how do you even define punk? You know exactly. Like it's, yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's, it's pretty so, broad.
2: It's pretty broad. Yeah, and <laughs> as 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 punk evolve, more things, more offshoots, more understanding. Mm-hmm. So, what what happened after Farsight? Was it was it for you? Was it work? Was it other musical projects, or what, what did you kind of get get into after?
0: Really, just worked. I mean, at that point, I was uh, I was like thirty, thirty one years old. It was. Um, working as a magazine editor and, um, pretty, pretty well rooted into adulthood. Um, and then, uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I did, I did nothing. Uh, I started, I started taking voiceover classes, um, and started, uh, eventually doing that for a living, um, had a a brief stint playing for the Aquabats. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think that was around 2006 or 2007. Um, cause I was getting, you know, I, I was realizing after several years that I didn't really enjoy being a magazine editor that much. Um, and so I was able to go play music full time for, I think, I think about a year. Um, and then that ended. And then I just, and then that, that's when I started doing voiceover work and started doing that full time. And um, what was that like?
2: What was that like being kind of cha- leaving something that you had been in for a while to do something new? What was that like? I mean, f-
0: you know, uh, what uh, being a musician to a magazine editor to a musician to a voice actor kind of thing? I was a journalism major in college um, b- because I thought it would be a really good merging of uh creativity and also practical skills and it just it after about 10 years it just it just felt like any other dumb job that i had had in high school or while i was a college student like you're you're just ultimately doing what somebody else is telling you to do and i also realized i don't really like writing very much like i like i never have um I, I like editing other people's work. I don't like writing things. Hmm. Um, oh my god I I, uh, I I when I write lyrics, I agonize over every tiny every little syllable like i like I just oof um, And uh, I had a friend who was a a voiceover coach who had told me multiple times, you know you have a nice voice and you have a nice way of speaking and Uh, If if you ever want to come to a class sometime, just pop on in. And I went and I got hooked. And so I took classes off and on for a little while and recorded a demo and eventually got an agent and did some hustling and actually started making money at it and made a living for about 15 or 16 years doing that. Amazing. Various project. Yeah, I, I, I I, I will admit I know... If you're a religious person, you would know that this is a sin, but I was so incredibly proud of myself <laughs> that, that, I, that I could call myself a working voice actor and I didn't have to have a survival job. I didn't make a lot of money, but I, I made enough to uh, have a relatively comfortable existence. I lived in a nice apartment in a nice neighborhood and um, yeah, it was pretty great while it lasted
2: is that still going on or is that something that you've changed and done something else?
0: I live in Pennsylvania now. Um, and so when I met my now wife and I moved out here, uh, I had to take into consideration that there was a, a very big possibility that you know, I may not be doing a lot of voiceover work anymore. Right. Um, but I was, I was willing to, I was willing to take that gamble and, um, and that's kind of what happened. It just sort of dried up. COVID did not help.
2: Absolutely one not. One
0: bit. Right. Um, so I still do, I'll still do smaller freelance jobs here and there. And I just record them at home uh, to make a few extra bucks. And I I really enjoy it when I get those opportunities to do those things. Um, part of not being in Los Angeles is because uh, I did a lot of um I did a lot of video game work Mm -hmm. and I did a lot of post-production work on movies and television shows. And those are things that you just, you just can't do remotely. Right. Um, or it's really, really difficult to do because, um, because they want you to be in the same studio as all the other voice actors who are doing it. So everybody's using the same microphone and being in the same Mm -hmm. room. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I I do miss it, but I, I I don't I don't regret moving here at all. Can you say That's what great. you're doing now? Uh, I am an assistant to a school psychologist.
2: Oh, amazing!
0: Yes, who also happens to be one of my bandmates.
2: That's great.
0: <laughs> In my new band. <laughs> so that yeah.
2: so and 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 you and you like the gig?
0: Yeah, it's great. Uh, money's fantastic. I get to work at home, flexible hours um you know he we can work remotely and so we're we're he's like come on man think of it like we'll we'll go on tour or go play a festival and we just bring our laptops and so we can still get our work done <laughs> <laughs> like that is that is like super hardcore adult that is so 2023 <laughs> middle aged <laughs> and, and above hardcore totally lighting.
2: absolutely Um, and so did you go to school for it or were you, it was just something that you, Oh no, I
0: know, I know nothing. Uh, I know nothing about education or psychology, (laughs) um, but I do have a lot of work experience and administrative skills and, uh, also my journalism background. You know, I, I know how to communicate well with people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and just, uh, I I, I do what he tells me and happily do it and yeah.
2: So then, you you you're talking about the new band. Is that that would be Calling Hours, correct? Correct. Talk about that.
0: Um, the Calling Hours is a, a group of guys who live in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, they were all the members of the band Don't Sleep, which uh, fe- who that featured Dave Smalley as their lead singer, and they had mm-hmm. an album out on Victory Records. Um, so those guys have known each other forever and we played a show together. I was doing a solo acoustic thing and uh, this was a little over a year ago. Um, and they just kind of hit me up and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing a few full band songs together? Cause we're fans. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So we did a few far side songs and some covers And then we were just kind of chatting afterwards, and they said, yeah, we just kind of get together and jam every once in a while, and we've got some songs that wouldn't really work for Don't Sleep, and we don't really know what to do with them, and we're looking for a singer. And I kind of sheepishly rose my hand and said, well, I'm not really doing anything. Can I try out? (laughs) Same same. Same, with the same amount of confidence that I had when I asked to try out for Far Side, did you like, bring? Oh,
2: hey. Did you bring the tape deck too to record while you went to the bathroom?
0: <laughs> I probably should. You have, should but, have uh,
2: voice. You just left your phone on voice memo. That I would wish. Yeah. Next time, next time. Um,
0: but they were they were receptive to it. And they were like, "Yeah, well, we've got a ton of stuff. We'll just start emailing you songs that if you if you like it, write some lyrics, record them at home if you want, or." Whatever, no big deal. Um, when they did the "Don't Sleep" record, they had worked with Brian McTurnan, and, uh, and they just and one of the guys mentioned to Brian, and Brian and I are very, very old friends, and um, one of them mentioned to Brian, "Hey, we're doing this thing, and it sounds like you know Papa wants to sing for us." And Brian immediately said, "Book a studio and let's record some songs like now." And no way. It, yeah, it happened really, really that quick. fucking rules. Kind of kind of quickly, yeah. I know and it's it's Brian freaking McTurnan, man. It felt like it was really quick. It, to me it did. Um uh it, it felt like it. Um but we yeah, we 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 met up in Harrisburg at this uh at a at a studio um and we just demoed a few songs over the course of a couple of days and we all agreed that we were going to go forward with this and, uh, and then we just kept doing more, but we had a couple more demo sessions and then um, we recorded, uh, we recorded all the stuff for our, our record that's going to be coming out on revelation and uh, it's mixed, it's mastered, it's in the pipeline as they say. And uh, so, yeah, we're just, we're, we're super, super anxious for it to be out there and available um, it, it's gonna feel like an eternity before that actually happens, because <laughs> we want it out there now. Um, but uh, we're we're finally able to start like kind of like okay, the the record's done. Now maybe we can start playing some shows. So we have a we do have a show coming up on May 20th in Harrisburg with uh, the legendary Shades Apart. Um, so we're super super jazzed about that, and that'll be our that'll be our first time. On stage, and uh, I've already got butterflies about it. I, I have zero things to complain about, honestly. Um, with I love music that. Or otherwise, like it, it's, I've I've had ai have had a big, I, I had a lifetime worth of memories by the time I was thirty-five. You know, and now I'm much older than that. I'm still making new memories and still so getting to have new experiences. Like, what can I possibly complain about? If you if you think about how many people are were are on this planet and never get to do this kind of stuff like it's a really 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 small percentage of people that to that get to play music live and record music and travel and
2: friendships all the,
0: all the I was just gonna say all the friends I, I've made like it's just it's innumerable like I, I literally cannot go through a single day without some random <laughs> memory or thought popping into my head about something or somebody that i met or a conversation that i had or a show that we played or anything like it's impossible for that to not happen every day at least once um so you know how could you not feel anything other than gratitude about it rays, penicillin, even chemotherapy, were all pioneered at the Yale School of Medicine, the very same medical school that's affiliated with Yale New Haven Health. This unique combination of medical advancements and personalized care is why many of the best minds in medicine all choose to work at Yale New Haven Health, and why more and more people in this region choose to be treated here. Yale New Haven Health, with the greatest of care.
1: America's number one motorcycle insurer is ready to ride. They offer coverage for your bike starting as low as $75 per year. And they keep things affordable with discounts like paid in full, multi-policy, and responsible driver. Get a quote today at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Premium is for state minimum liability coverage. Rate and discounts not available in all states or situations.